Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We acknowledge that we need you. God, without you, what are we going to do? Lord, with you, all things are possible. And so, Lord, we want to hear from you this morning. God, we we again want to ask, you've been so good to us, so merciful and gracious to us. And Lord, we just pray that you'd help us to be wise and harmless. (laughs) Lord, would you protect us from the virus? Would you keep us from evil? And Lord, we know your grace is sufficient for even that. But uh, you said to cast our care on you and let our requests be made known. And so, God, we're asking and we're trusting you to bring us through uh, this pandemic rejoicing. And so, Lord, again, we we just ask for your favor. Uh, Lord, don't let anything hinder the work of winning souls and making disciples and training and equipping people for the work that you called us to. Lord, we just ask that nothing would hinder that, particularly a virus. And, And so... Uh, Lord, help us. Father, open our understanding right now. Help us to see that knowing Christ is everything. And then, Lord, through that, would you be glorified in our lives? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So what we're going to see, Lord willing, this morning is just a few simple truths that unfortunately very few Christians actually lay hold on, very few attain. And so I'm praying that today... This message will not slip past you without you grabbing hold of these truths. So grab your Bible, look at Philippians chapter 3. Let's review verses 4 through 8. Paul is saying, you know, if you've got a reason to brag about who you are and what you've done in the flesh, well, you're nothing compared to me. You say, what in the world? That sounds pretty prideful and pretty narcissistic. Well, it's not prideful if it's true. And that's where Paul was. He was legit. He was impressive in the flesh. He says, though I might have also, uh, I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he have wherever he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. So you're somebody in the flesh? Well, compared to me, you're not that big a deal. And then he describes who he was and what he got done in the flesh circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But now watch this. So that's who he was in the flesh, impeccable. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things. What things? All things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom, for Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Who I am in the flesh, what I've accomplished in the flesh, my ethnicity, my intelligence, my ability in the flesh, it's all poop. That's what he's saying. Compared to knowing Christ, poop, flush it, flush it all. And so we talked about this last week. If I'm bragging about what I did this morning you'd be looking for another pastor because that's crazy. And yet that's what God's people do all the time. They, they, they think they know people after the flesh. They think they're impressed in terms of the accomplishments of the flesh. That compared to Christ, man, flush that to know Christ is everything. So get this down to your notes. Point number one, loss is gain. Gain's your first blank. Loss is gain. Paul's statements about how Christ had turned his life upside down I mean, they're staggering. They're mind-blowing. That, it just blows me away. I'm amazed at Paul's testimony. Here's a man of great stature. He had the right background. He had the right religion, right religious intensity. 
very motivated to serve God. He was flawless in his dedication. And he said, my old life, all the things that really mattered to me in the flesh, I counted them loss. And we saw this last week. Loss means literally to cast away. I threw them away. I cast them away. I threw it all out of my life. And if you ask him why, Paul would tell you, duh, I met Jesus. That changed everything. Of course I'm casting them out of my life. I threw it all out of my life. If you ask Paul, how do you, Paul, how do you feel about the loss of the things that you gave up? That would shock him. He would look at you like you were crazy. And he would say, loss of what? Of all that trash? Of all that poop? What loss? I haven't lost anything. Listen, man, I've seen Christ face to face. His face bright as the morning, more intense than the day. It was lovely beyond anything I could ever imagine. And it blinded me. It burned my eyes out to see anything. It blinded me, blinded my ability to see anything that this world has to offer. I've looked into Jesus' eyes, and that's all I ever see now. I heard his voice. That's all I ever hear now. I don't want anything else. It's like music to my soul. I love him with all my heart. I love him with all my soul. I love him with all my strength. I only want to live for him. I don't want to live for anything else. All I want now is to know him. And I can't wait to see his face again. I can't wait to hear his voice again. It's all I care about. You see what he's saying? Look at verse 8 again. Yea, doubtless, I count what things? All things. I throw all things away. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of, of Jesus Christ my Lord. The excellency, for the ex excellency of knowing him, I have suffered the loss of all things. I cast it all away because knowing Christ is most excellent. It's most excellent. They're making another, they're making another movie. If you don't know what I'm talking about, ask somebody that lived and was paying attention in the early 90s. If you knew the President of the United States, the President of the United States called you up and said, hey, I need you to come to the White House this weekend. I want to run my incredible economic strategy by you. It's stupendous. It's going to be fantastic. So huge. Okay, I practiced all weekend and it's still terrible. <laughs> but if Trump called you and asked you to come out and hang with him for the weekend, you'd brag to everybody you knew. You'd be so impressed. You say, no, 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 I'm a never Trumper. Okay. So if you knew Biden, and Biden called you up and he said, uh, hello? Where am I? What was I saying? Who are you? Okay. You'd be so impressed with that. Like, Biden called me. Right? I, you'd be bragging to everybody that you knew. <laughs> you kind of got to make, well, never mind. If you trash one, you got to trash the other. Okay, so forget them. You know somebody who is more important. You know someone that's more important than any human ruler that's ever lived. You know somebody that makes Alexander the Great look like a, an ant, that makes every president of the United States look like an insect. You know somebody that blows them all out of the water. You know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, Christ knew Jesus. He saw him, and it put his eyes out. Read the story in Acts. It put his eyes out. And that changed him. It, it took who he was, 
and his ability to be impressed with who he was in the flesh and what he'd accomplished in this world, it made it look like poop. Seeing Jesus changed everything. The world lost all of its power to attract and to distract him. Okay, now what about you? Do you have the same relationship with Jesus that Paul had? And if not, does that kind of mess you up a little bit? Does that disturb you just a little bit? It does me. It kind of messes with me. I need, I want, I need to grow. (laughs) I need that same kind of relationship with the Lord that Paul had. Here's the secret to Paul's success with Christ. It was in what he was willing to lose and his desire to know him. He was willing to lose the loss, right? He was willing to suffer the loss of all things. What things? All things. So you think about everything that was contained in those two words. He lost. He suffered the loss of all things. What did that encompass? Well, we know Paul was married because he was part of the Sanhedrin. And you had to be married to be a part of that group. So when he got saved, did she walk out on him because he's now a Jesus freak? Is that what happened? She left him because he's now a follower of the way? Think about the relationships that he had with the Pharisees, that he had in the Sanhedrin. He was somebody. He was, I mean, he was the who's who in Jerusalem. So he had all of these very important relationships. I bet all his friends dumped him. You know they did. So all the relationships that he held dear, he lost all of them. Here's the bottom line. To know Jesus cost Paul everything. He suffered the loss of all things. And what Paul is saying is, is, that was a really good trade. It was a great trade. That was a great deal. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Man, what a perspective that Paul had. You see that word when? That word when. Loss means throw it away. Win means gain. I mean, literally, I gain Christ. I may win, that I may gain Christ. I lose the dung, I flush the poop of this life, and gain a most excellent relationship with Christ. It's a great trade. It's a great deal. I came out the winner. Because whether you realize it or not, realize it or not, Jesus is the one thing. He's the one resource. He's the one thing that you cannot live without. Look in your notes. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Once you have Jesus in your life, now it, to know him... You have to suffer the loss of all things. But once you know him, now you have everything. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with what? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Look at chapter 3 verse 19. The prayer is that we'd know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with what? All the fullness of God. Can you imagine living your life full of all the fullness of God? Would that destroy your life in this world or what? Have you ever met somebody who is full of all the fullness of God and yet that's what's available to every child of God? He's made it available to you. All the fullness of God. That's what you get when you get Jesus. Philippians 4 verse 19. Here's the promise. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So what else do you think you need in this life? What do you need? What's gained to you? Knowing Christ or something? Well, I need a college education. I need him or her to say yes to me. What do you need? Do you need a ring? Do you need a car? 
You need a new gaming rig. What do you need? What do you think you have to have in this life? What is it? What is that thing that's distracting you from really knowing Christ, from actually having a most excellent relationship with him? And are you willing to walk away from it in order to grow in knowing him? Knowing God, knowing Christ is everything. And it's worth the loss of all things. Most of us can't get most of us can't let go of what we think we have to have in this world, and that idol, that thing, is actually short-circuiting our ability to grow in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at what it means to know Christ. To gain Christ is to have two things, two truths active in your life. And so let's look at gains, two anchors. Two is your next blank. Get this down in your notes. You need to understand all that the Christian life, right, everything that is the Christian life at its fullest, it's anchored to two truths, two points, no less, no more. Anchor number one is found in Philippians 3, verse 9, and that's to be found in him. And then anchor number two is found in verse 10, and that's to know him, that I may know him. And when you get those two things, you get everything, The first anchor point is found when you believed on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's found at your salvation. That is your now position before Christ, and we'll talk about that in a second. Once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, his finished work at Calvary, that changes everything. It's a once and for all absolute position that you now have in Christ before God. And it's accomplished at the moment of your faith in the gospel. Now, the second anchor point That's worked out over your life. It's called the process of sanctification. It is a critical process that very few attain where your salvation is worked out when you believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your sanctification is worked out as you live Christ, as you follow Christ in this life. It's worked out over the life of the believer. It's how God conforms us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. But everything that God does in a person's life, it's all about anchoring you to one of these two points. So before you get saved, everything that's happening in your life, the reason you're going through what you're going through, the reason you see and understand what you see and understand, is God is bringing you to the point where you recognize you can't make it in this life without Christ. It's bringing you to the point of seeing, understanding, and believing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why so many people are so miserable. They know they need God in their life, but they're taking an atheistic position. They're refusing to believe, and in their foolish heart, they're saying there is no God. And they know. This is why the typical atheist says, there is no God, and I hate him, and I'll spend the rest of my life proving that he's a sham. Okay, good luck with that. (laughs) You see the logical fallacy of your position. Oh, you don't? Okay, that's why you're so frustrated. God is bringing you to the place where you recognize that you need to surrender your life to Christ. But then once you do, he's showing you everything that happens in your life is to draw you closer to him, to know him. You see this principle in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, where he looked at this, but it's given unto you on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, that's salvation, but also to suffer for his sake, that's sanctification. Not only do you get to get saved, but you get to lay your life down suffering in his service. It's a privilege. You see it again in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It's a faithful saying. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. That's salvation. That's Romans 6. 
Verse 12 is sanctification. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, if we deny suffering in his service, well, then we won't rule and reign with him. He will also deny us. He won't deny us salvation. That's verse 11. But he will deny us ruling and reigning with him. So let's, uh, let's drill down and look at these two anchor points. Anchor point number one is salvation in Christ. Salvation is your next blank. And that's found in verse 9. Paul, again, the cry of his heart is to know him. So he says, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul's cry of his heart is, I want Christ. I want his righteousness. I don't want my own righteousness. I want to know him. You know, you can be good, right? You can be smart. You can be smart enough. You can be good enough. Everybody could love you, but gosh darn it, that won't even cause God to give you the time of the day, right? He won't even regard you because being a good person does not make you a Christian. Paul says, I don't want to have my own righteousness, which is of the law. In fact, being a good person, it doesn't make you a Christian at all because your righteousnesses, the good that you can do in the flesh, God regards it as filth. Look at Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. Look at your neighbor. Don't say it. But in the flesh, unclean. Make no comments, husbands. Okay. Unclean. We are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, every good thing that you can do in the power and the ability of your flesh, in God's sight, are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as leaf, and our iniquity is like the wind have taken us away. So your righteousnesses, as a matter of fact, only bring God's judgment. You'll fade as a leaf. He'll take you away. Verse 7 goes on to say that the problem with man's righteousnesses is that it keeps him, to, it keeps him from submitting to God in the first place. It keeps him from submitting to God's plan for his life. Look at verse 7. And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. So to come to God, you have to do it totally by faith in what Christ has done, not in what you can do, but in what Christ has done. And other people, they look at that and they go to the other extreme. They think they're so sinful. They're not counting on their righteousnesses. They know they're sinful. And they think they're so sinful that they can never be saved. They think that my sin is so bad that God can never accept me. And so they think in their mind and their heart, well, I have to stop sinning before I come. I know I need God in my life, but I need to stop sinning first. And then I'll come to God. I need to stop sinning. I need to stop smoking. I need to stop drinking. I need to stop using. I need to stop sexing before God can accept me. I have to stop and then I'll come to God. Can I just tell you something? If that's you, if you're tempted to think that way. God loves you, and you need to know he's a very hard man to offend. The only thing that will offend God and cause him to reject and refuse you is if you reject and refuse Christ. So get this down. Everything is forgivable but this. You cannot reject Jesus. You cannot reject his son. Because the offer of God's salvation only comes through Christ and his finished work at Calvary. You reject that, and all bets are off. So get this down. This is key. This is the bottom line. You cannot make yourself a Christian no matter what you do. You must be found in him. Do you get that? What you do doesn't make you a Christian. It's who you know. 
Are you in yourself or are you in Christ? People say, well, I've seen how some Christians live. They're such hypocrites. How can they be real Christians? Well, if you can see that, you would, if you're honest with yourself, you would say, these are the people, this is the tribe that I should join. Hypocrite. How can these hypocrites be real Christians? Well, they can if they have Christ's righteousness and not their own. That's how they do it. Right? Turn to the hypocrite sitting next to you and say, praise God for salvation. Right? I, have Christ. I don't have my righteousness. I have Christ. Man, praise the Lord. See, verse 9 is all about living through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You see, life without Christ, it's like living in Nebraska. That's what it's like. Anybody from Nebraska in this service? Plug your ears, brother. <laughs> no matter if you live in a nice house or a poor house, you work every day, you could work in a mine shaft or you could be moving and shaking for a big corporation. No matter how beautiful you are, no matter how good you are, no matter how smart you are, you still live in Nebraska. But then there are those who live in Missouri. And some of these people, they live in a shack. Others live in a mansion. Some work at the sewer. Others own their very own successful businesses. Uh, the great thing that the sewer worker and the business owner have in common is they live in Missouri. <laughs> See, without Christ... You can be full of good works, you can be very moral, you can be evil, you can do bad works, it's all the same. You're without Christ, and you live in an unregenerate state. Does that make sense? You live unregenerate. So no matter where you are, how you live, whether you're moral or wicked, if you're living in an unregenerate, in, in an unregenerate state, you're lost, and we're all born in that state. But you can get out of that state, you can get out of the state of unregeneration into the state of regeneration by being born again. And in the born again state, the regenerated state, you can live a very moral life. You may be backslidden, you may be carnal, but you're still found in him. Is this making sense? What state do you live in? It's like the difference between being in high school and in the workforce. When you're in high school, it hits you. I am the smartest person I know. But the problem is nobody cares. You have no power. You literally have no power. You're in high school, nobody's listening. That's the problem. Being in high school is like life without Christ. But then you graduate high school and college and now you're the teacher. Now you get to make the rules. And it doesn't matter if you know what you're talking about or not, you're in charge. That's heaven. You're in charge. By the way, being in charge, it's not always cracked up to be. It's hard to get people to listen to you too, you know. It's just how it works. But here's the key. Here's the bottom line. Is your position in Christ or not? That's the bottom line. No other state will do. You must leave the unregenerate state to the regenerated. From the lost to the saved, you must be born again. That's the first anchor point, to be found in Christ, do you know that you're in Christ? Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you're born again? That changes everything. Everything that's happening in your life, and if you'll be honest with yourself, you know this. Everything that happens in your life is drawing you to this place where you recognize you need God. You need to be in the life of God. You need God in your life. 
And then that brings us to the second anchor. There's a second truth that God desires to anchor your life to, and that's found in verse 10, and it's knowing Christ, knowing is your next blank. Verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Okay, knowing him, look at verse 10 and see how God develops this concept of knowing God, how he develops this in your life. First, to know the power of his resurrection. Well, that's going to keep your head up. That's going to keep you looking to live Christ. And then to know the fellowship of his sufferings, that's going to keep your focus right. It's not about you. To be made conformable unto his death, that's going to keep your will in check because every day you make a decision that you're going to, be, you're going to live like you got saved. You're going to be crucified with Christ, and it's not going to be your life in the flesh. It's going to be Christ's life in you. You're going to be a disciple of Christ. You're going to take up your cross and follow him, and you're going to live your life not according to what you think or how you feel or your changing opinions. It doesn't work that way. What God has promised, what God has declared, what God wants over your life is the word of God to be a reality in and over your life. So I don't get to live Christ. I don't get to walk Christ. I don't get to live for God the way I want. I got to live it the way he's called me to live it, what his word teaches me to live. Amen? Got a lot of Christians today who are going away that's right in their own eyes, and they're going by their own deceptive heart as to what's right or wrong or how to live. And this is the way of error. True disciples of Christ, they learn the Word of God, they live the Word of God, they get accountable to do so. So how can you and I, I mean really, how do you and I get to know a person who was crucified 2,000 years ago? I mean, how does that happen? He was resurrected three days later. Now he's at the right hand of the Father. He sent his Holy Spirit for you. He sent someone to introduce you to Jesus. He sent his rep representative into your life to make sure that you met him. But how can you know him? Matthew eleven twenty seven 27 says, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And now watch this. And he to whom whosoever the Son will reveal him. Uh, you can know God. That's the promise of the Bible. And now, once you've switched states, once you've gotten out of your life and into Christ, once you're found in him, he's inviting you into a deeper knowledge of him. He's inviting you to grow in your relationship with him. So if you're going to know somebody, I mean, to know someone is to recognize them by sight. That's how that works. Pastor Ong, I know him by sight. I've known this guy for decades now. It would, be a, it would take a lot of work for Pastor Ong to disguise himself from me. He'd have to really work hard in order to do that because I, I can, if Pastor Ong's in the room, I can see him from the front, the back, from the side. He could be wearing a coat, whatever. I just know Pastor Ong. To know someone is to recognize them by sight. Do you know Jesus by sight? Do you know him by sight? We should. John 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Do you know who we're talking about? John, to make sure we knew who he's talking about, down in verse 14, says, We've handled the Word, right? We, he, the Word came. He was made flesh. We saw Him. We were with Him in His ministry. 
Do you know Jesus by sight? Do you know your creator by sight? That's who we're talking about here in John chapter 1. What's his name? Well, what's Jesus' other name? John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. What's his name? Word, right? In the beginning was the Word. Notice the capital W. Do you know him by sight? What does he look like? Jesus is the living Word revealed in the written Word. That's who he is. He's magnified his Word above all his name. Do you know him? Do you know every line of his face? Do you see him for who he is? Do you recognize Jesus by sight? Psalms 119 verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know what you and I need to do? We need to let the light of his face blind us to anything else, any other direction in this world, anything else this world has to offer. You say, well, I, I, I need to know. I need to read. I need to, I need to see him. Man, get in the word every day. Spend time at the feet of Jesus, listening to his voice, looking at his face. Get to know every line. This is what's so great about people that have been in the Bible for a long time. And uh, their Bible wears out because they use it all the time. And they always want to find the same Bible. Why? Because they know where the words are at on the page. I know when I'm looking for this verse, it's down. It's, it's, when I get to the area, I'm looking down in this corner because that's where I'm going to find it. Or I'm going to look in the middle on the right-hand side because next to the spine because I know that's where I'm going to find it. I can't, I, can't, I can't remember exactly what verse it is, but I know where it is. They always want the same Bible. Why? Because they're getting to know what he looks like. Is this making sense? So this is key. Get this down. You really know someone when you live with them. Live with them. See, with Christ, it's very unique. It's different than any other kind of relationship you're ever going to have. Because to know Christ, you must, and this is our second point here, is to live Christ. you got to live him. And you do this first in knowing the power of his resurrection. This word power, right, this word that's translated in the English language as power can also be transliterated into English as dynamite. To know the dynamite of his resurrection. Okay, the dynamite, the power of his resurrection. That means it's a force unleashed. Dynamite represents a violent explosion, right? You light that fuse when it hits that stick, everything blows up. It is violent, powerful force. Has the resurrection power, the life of Christ, been detonated inside of you? Do you know that power? Or are you blind to it? Paul, when he was praying for the church at Ephesus, he says, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. So this kind of power, you have to see it. You have to comprehend it. You have to understand it. Then you have to claim it and reckon it a reality in your life. So when you read God's word, does your heart burn? Does it explode with the possibilities of God's truth being a reality in your life? Do you see it for what it is? Do you see it for the power that it is? Or is the word of God dull to you? The same God that raised a little girl, that raised Lazarus from the grave, 
that same God wants to do the same kind of work, the same magnitude of that resurrection in your life every day. That's the life you're supposed to live. How do you go through your life? Is it dull or are you walking knowing him, the power of his resurrection? The same God that went into the ground, a cold corpse, and then bust from the grave three days later, wants to work a work of that same order, that same magnitude, that same power in your life. Does that mean anything to you? Paul said, I want that kind of power. Does your Christianity feel weak? Or are you trying to live as a puny human? I mean, like, how far are you going to get like that? Wouldn't it be awesome to be like Bruce Banner? Life comes at you, it's tough, problems arise, Bruce puts his Hulk on. Hulk's mad. I mean, just, there are, there are, there's nothing that can stand in his way. Paul says, I want even more power. The Word of God claims that that power is supposed to be operative in your life daily. But most Christians will never open their eyes to see it. So they don't live by faith. They got saved by faith. They got saved that way by just believing on the gospel, by believing on the word of God. But then they won't live it. They're powerless to live that way. And so they're careful. They're worried about everything that comes, every problem that they see. They worry about that. They fret over that. And they don't count on the sufficiency of Christ. And what God is saying, what the Bible is saying, is the same power that will raise millions of Christians at the rapture, maybe even you too, the same power that will raise you from the grave, you don't have to wait until the rapture to see that power at work in your life. You can, God wants to use that same power in your life right now. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to live that every day in my life. Read Romans 8, 11. It's a fact. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you, present tense. Does the life, does the person of God indwell your life? Then live in resurrection power. Most never do it though, because the truth of knowing him, living in the power of his resurrection is coupled to two other things. It comes as a three pack. If you really wanna know Jesus, most don't, because the second phrase is this. I want to know him, right? I want to know the power of his resurrection. But secondly, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. If I'm going to really know Jesus, I need to be, I need to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Well, I like the power of the resurrection, but suffering, that doesn't sound very fun. Well, it keeps going. He says, I want to be made conformable unto his death. Jesus was beaten. He suffered a crown of thorns. They spit on him. He was jeered. He was struck. God was mocked. You see, Jesus had to bleed and die before he was glorified. And most of us never want to go there. Most of us never enter into the privilege of the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ because we're not willing to lay down our lives in his service. Lay down my comfort, my will, my life. Man, forget about it. Being a partner in the suffering of Christ, I'm so glad he suffered for me, but now I, gotta, I, I need to suffer for him if you want to know him. If you, want to, if you want to have this most excellent relationship with him, if you want to grow in knowing him, we need to have our eyes put out for the things of this world, and then we need to take up our cross and follow him. Remember Philippians 1.29, not, not only did God gift you with the privilege of believing on the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
You don't just get to believe on him, but you also get to suffer for his sake. And that's the privilege of the follower of Christ. Suffering for Jesus' sake is a privilege for only the believer. That's your last blank. Most of us are rich in this world, and we have no need to partner in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. We're not interested in the, in the gospel, suffering in the service to the gospel. We've got too much to worry over ourselves and our life in this world. If you really want to know Jesus this morning, let me give you 1 Peter 4, verses 11 through 13. I want you to trust God for this. Verse 11 says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Man, awesome. Praise the Lord. Keep going. Verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice in so much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Whenever you preach Christ, you're going to take up the fellowship of his suffering. You know, all of us enjoy the fact that we're saved, the benefits of the gospel. It's great that we're not going to hell anymore, that Christ saved us from our sin. But very few want to be the servant that takes the gospel, the person, the word of Christ, the, bre the bread of life to other people. Man, I'm so great I get to go to church at MBT this weekend. But the rest of the week, man, that's mine. <laughs> the invitation on the floor this morning, you want to know him? You want to you know the power of his resurrection? You want to know what it means to enter into the fellowship of his suffering? You want to know what it means to be made conformable to his death? Pick up this book. Let God speak to you. Let him ruin you on any life any pursuit that this world is inviting you to, and let him equip you to invest the word of God into the lives of other people. And you will endure hardness as a good soldier. That will happen. You will enter into the fellowship of his suffering. You will learn what it means to die to self and live in his service. And you will grow in knowing your creator. That is the invitation that God gives to every believer. I'd like us to, we're out of time. Let's bow our heads. And I'd ask that if, you will, if you'll bow your head and if you'll look, right, if you'll close your eyes and really look into your heart, I want you to just examine where you're at. I'd ask that nobody but the worship team be moving around because I got questions for you. Is there anyone that would say, Pastor, would you please pray for me because I recognize I love my life in the flesh in this world and I need to count it loss and take up knowing Jesus. That's what I need. I need to repent today. I need to rededicate my life to Christ. Pastor, would you pray for me? Okay, so we've got a few. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes. Anybody else? Pastor, please pray for me. Okay, so there's several more. Pastor, please pray for me. I, I'm recognizing I love my life in this world, and I need to count it loss, and I need to give myself to knowing him, pursuing my relationship with Christ. I need to do that this morning. Anyone else? Yeah. Is there anybody that would say, Pastor, pray for me because I'm not even sure I'm saved. I don't even know that I've been born again. Would you please pray for me? Yes, sir. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Okay. Anybody else? Please pray for me. I'm not sure I'm born again. 
Okay. You know, what you want in your life, it's really strong. You want what you want. But the most liberating thing that you'll ever know is to know that your life is God's and that he's having his way with your life, that you're dying to self and you're following Christ and his call over your life. To know, Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. If you want to know Christ, spend time at his feet. You say, where do I start? Start at the Gospel of John. Just read it. Just read it. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time at his feet. And there's some things that you'll have to say no to. This world is distracting you, and you're going to have to walk away from some things. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a pursuit. I don't know. But you know the thing that you're trusting in for contentment in this life that you're going to have to say no to, that you're going to have to count loss, you're going to have to count it as dung, and then pursue Christ. And I'm going to pray for you for God to strengthen you, but you make that decision. Father, you see the two gentlemen that raise their hand. They don't know if they're saved. They don't know if they know you. And God, I'm praying that today would be the day of salvation, that today they would, they would, they would call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And then, Lord, you see the several, you see several of us that are saying, I need to die to who I am and, and what my flesh wants, what I want in the flesh. Lord, for myself, first and foremost, Lord, I just pray that, God, you would open the eyes of my understanding, that, Lord, I would see that there's nothing in this world compared to growing in knowing you. Lord, would you bless my time in your word? Would you bless my relationship with you through me dying to self and putting on Christ? I thank you that I'm found in him. Lord, I want to know him. And, uh, Lord, that's never an easy thing, and yet it's a wonderful thing. That's never a comfortable thing, and yet it's a necessary thing. And, and Lord, this is one of the great secrets to joy that we find in the book of Philippians, to know Christ is everything. And so, Lord, I pray that same thing for my brothers and sisters that are raising their hand. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of repentance and rededication, that they would put a stake down and dedicate their lives to being and following as a disciple. Uh, Lord, would you let them so see you for who you are? Would you let them so see the beauty of Christ and his word that it would just burn their eyes out for anything else? They wouldn't be able to see anything else in this world. And Lord, however they live, as a husband or a wife, as a, as a, as a blue-collar or white-collar worker, that it would all be done to your glory. God, would you be glorified in and through your people today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.